Great afternoon. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane. The goal of my podcast is to encourage people to do better, be better, live better. And I've done many podcasts with people that I have met through Pure Haven. And my guest today is no exception. I met her through Pure Haven, but we are not talking about Pure Haven because obviously I'm very passionate about non-toxic products, as is she. But uh, today we're going to talk about something we haven't talked about before, which uh, I don't know anything about. So I'm very excited to hear what she has to say. So please welcome Premi Mom and NICU Advocate Kimberly Park into the fast lane today. Hello, Kimberly. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Yes. So, okay. Like I said, we have met through Pure Haven. So I know that we have that in common, but you have a son and twin daughters and your son was preemie. So why don't you walk us through that whole experience? So um, as a first time mom, I was 26 weeks pregnant and we had just moved to Florida and I never felt good, like the whole pregnancy. And I just was like, oh, well, that's, you know, this is pregnancy. I'm not going to be the mom that takes weekly photos because <laughs> I feel bad. Like, mm. so, um, and I just like chalked it up to being like, oh, it's just pregnancy. That's it. But it got to the point where like I was, I couldn't sleep at night and I had like a frog in my throat and it felt like I couldn't breathe. And I remember recording like a video. It's like literally of the fan, but it's just, just to hear my like voice. And I was like, what is wrong with like, what is going on? And I wanted my husband to hear it and I wanted to bring it to like the doctor in the morning. And I called and said, you know, like, I need to come in, like something's not right. Like, I really don't feel good. And um, thank God I did. And I advocated for myself because when I went in, um, my blood pressure was really high and the instrument had left like an imprint on my stomach when I tried to do the ultrasound. And the woman was like, I'll be right back. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And I got this really weird feeling. And the head of the practice came back in and was like, you need to go to Tampa General right now. You're experiencing severe preeclampsia and um, they have a NICU. And I was like, what? I'm like 26 weeks pregnant. You're telling me I need to go buy ambulance to a hospital. Was your <laughs> husband with you? No, I was by myself. Okay. And they have a NICU. It's like, okay, I know what that is, but I don't know, know what that is. Right. <laughs> and we found out. Um, so my husband was like really far away, but he, he made it to where I was to follow the ambulance. And in that 30 minute ride, um, I was given blood pressure medicine three times. It was not going down. It was like 180, like in climbing. And when I got to Tampa general, they brought me in and I was brought into the 24 seven area of labor and delivery. Um, we were monitored 24 seven and they were like, yeah, you're in severe preeclampsia. I was so bad that they thought I was in heart failure. And it was actually the fluid had built up that much around my chest that that's why I couldn't breathe and the frog. And that night I lost 10 pounds of fluid just from them giving me medicine to get rid of the fluid from the preeclampsia. So when we're talking about preeclampsia, are you having any contractions at this time or anything? No contractions, nothing. I just didn't feel good. It felt like something was on my chest that one night. That was the only really sign I had my in my ankles weren't swollen my hands weren't swollen but the the fluid was like when you touched me like it was you know all of a sudden my stomach would like left an imprint so like I really didn't have major signs until I went into an office and they were like your blood pressure is high and that's only because I called and said like I don't really feel well like something's not right 
and that day it took me like I had to sit on the edge of the tub to like get dressed and my dog was all over me like I literally like felt that bad Hmm. so I knew but I didn't know it was going to be what it was I thought like okay like you're going to go on bed rest or like you know Mm -hmm. I'm really sure but we ended up being up a minute to TGH um, and then the next morning someone sat on the end of my bed and she was like you're not leaving the hospital till you have your son and you're going to, we're going to try and get you to 32 to 34 weeks. And I lost it. Like bawled my eyes out. Like couldn't even tell my parents, my husband had to tell them like, she's okay. But by the way, like we're not leaving the hospital. Like this is, we're going to live here. Um, so my parents had to fly from Boston to Tampa that next day that they came down to help us. Um, Cause we have our house, our dog. My husband was like, what, I have to go to work. Like I can't just stay in the hospital. So he went back to work. Um, they did a bunch of testing on me. We also found out in that time that my son was IUGR, which is intrauterine growth restriction. So he already wasn't getting enough nutrients and he was smaller to begin with on top of me having severe preeclampsia. And they continued to do blood pressure medicine and monitor us both. But my blood pressure just was not staying down. And we also had issues with him where his heart, we would lose him and then we didn't have a heartbeat and it would take forever to find him again. And it was just that constant battle back and forth. And I was pretty optimistic when we were there, like, okay, I'm here for three months. But then they were like, we're going to have you meet the NICU team. And I was like, okay, <laughs> like, what is that? Like, what do you mean? So my husband and I met like a transport NICU nurse um, and someone else from the NICU to explain like, if we do have to have an emergency C-section, you know, we're going to take the baby to the NICU and work on him and And they kind of just explained like an overview, but we were just like, what? Like we were just deer in headlights, like, Mm -hmm. okay. And then, you know, we signed some paperwork, like in an emergency and had everything ready. And we really weren't expecting that to happen. And I left six days later at 11 o'clock at night, they were like, your blood pressure is not stopping. We keep losing him. And we need to, we need to give you both an emergency C-section to save both your lives. And I was like, okay. And my husband and I looked at, he was at the end of the bed. He was like, white as a ghost. And they're like, we're going to put you in a bunny suit. And he was just, I was like, it's okay. Like text my mom and dad. We had just let them go to the casino. We're like, take a break, go to the casino, like, and come back. Like, I'll be fine. And he's like, everything's not fine. Like, Come back. <laughs> like, and then I felt so bad because I mean, they literally took me within, like, I was in the office. <laughs> and had him at, at by 12 15. So um, my poor husband was like by himself waiting and waiting till they could get the epidural in and waiting by himself in a bunny suit. Like what is happening? And I had an emergency C-section. Um, I had Carter at exactly 27 weeks. He was one pound, 10 ounces. Um, he cried and peed on everyone mm-hmm. and they lifted him up and they took him. And my, I said to my husband, go with him. Like I can't, I am. And I was still very sick. Um, I, from the preeclampsia. So he went with him. They worked on me. I went to recovery and the whole next like 26 hours was a complete blur because I was so sick. And it was just, it was like, this happened. Like I, I didn't even like, I saw my son on a, my parents' phone in a text message, like, here's your son. And I was just like, okay, this is, this happened. Like, this is, this is not what we were prepared for. No. And kind of just get thrown into it you know nobody prepares to be in the NICU 
So when you have preeclampsia, we're in when you're in the hospital, can you get out of bed? Like are you totally restricted with your movement or what's happening then? For the most part, I was completely bedridden. Um, they had me get up just to get weed to see if the, they could get the fluid out of the body and go make sure I was I was getting it out. Other than that, I was monitors all over my stomach, um, my heart, my blood pressure, temperature thing, everything. And I just had to basically almost not even move either because we had to keep redoing to see where he was and on like two different machines that were on my stomach. So I was basically hundred percent bedridden. Wow. And the whole time before you got pregnant, did you have any blood pressure issues? No, never. Okay. So technically this could really happen to anyone. Yes. Okay. Okay. So happened never again. Um, it's just, they, they don't even have a complete answer for why it happens to people. Wow. So then your son's born, you're not able to see him. How long until you start to feel better? Like what are the symptoms and how do you start to recover? Um, once I got like, once like everything kind of like got out of my body from like having a C-section and the medications I was given and everything, like I was given shots and stuff to help his lungs and they were pumping me like right the day up to that day, like just in case, like we're going to do this. It helps his lungs. It helps this. So I was being pumped with all these medications that I'd never taken on top of being sick with preeclampsia. So like within the next 26 hours, that's when I finally was like, like I was not flush anymore. I could like feel like, okay, like, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm together. Like that nurse that day, we looked like a blonde angel to me. Like, I don't even remember half of it. Cause I was just so out of it and so sick. And that was the first time I, I got taken over to the NICU and I could hold him, which was 26 hours later. And I, I held my son at, and he was probably like this big, 12 inches. Wow. If, so now I was, I was able to hold him and, and talk to the NICU team and see like, so what, what is the NICU like what are we going to do here and and it was a lot because other than doing kangaroo care which is when you hold the baby on your your chest and you just basically let them feel like your skin to their skin he's in a glass box and being taken care of by a level one NICU team that they I have to trust whatever they know and they're doing is is the best chance we have was that hard for you to trust them yeah it was... or were you okay with it it was very hard in the beginning because um, I was discharged three days later and I left the hospital without a baby and was told, you know, you can, I could sleep in the NICU and stay in the NICU, but here I am recovering from an emergency C-section. I was very sick and was now I was had to stay on blood pressure medicine um, just in case for the, after they say you can get preeclampsia again after you're, you've had your C-section and it was like leaving the hospital every day was like a punch in the face. Like you're leaving, but without your kid, the only good thing was I would say is the NICU we were in, they had cameras. So they were on the babies and you could watch online. So when I'd go home and I would pump, I would watch him and see him. And, but then I would be like, um, then I'd get upset and be like, I'm not there and this. And it was just, it was a whole like mind like very traumatic experience for both my husband and I. I mean, he 
he again went back to work because he was like, well, I want to come home and be with you guys when he's home. Right. So he went to work every and then to the NICU at night. And I went to the NICU all day, came home late at night, like would leave the NICU at like seven o'clock at night and then go home and then come back in the morning, bring breast milk in and, and do it all over again. And I would just literally sat in his room with him and did his care times, which was every three hours they would do care and check like his weight and all his different things that we needed to check. And, and then I would hold him and do as much skin to skin as I could. And there were days I didn't even leave the room and the nurses would be like, you need to go eat. You need to go downstairs. You just need to like readjust, get out of the room and come back. Like it's a lot. And it is, it was like, I had blinders on and it was just NICU. Let's make sure he survives. And, but you could hold him every day. Yes. Yes. So I, I, um, what? Pumping is like a whole nother job. So you were doing that on top of this? Yep. So pumping, um, the nurses, a lot of them um, are definitely very encouraging with pumping and breastfeeding. And I felt like that was literally the only thing I could control was I could pump and I could give him breast milk. Everything else was 100% out of my control. And I just, I even did a study for the hospital where they did um, people, if you pumped and then you held your baby and then you held them and then pumped, like, how did your milk go? And it was called the kangaroo study because that was literally all I could do was I could pump and make sure he had breast milk. Cause they said it was like the best he could get, especially he was preemie. And, you know, obviously if he can't, that's fine too, but like, let's try. And that's what I did. I literally just pumped to the, <laughs> the hospital even has a program where we got this huge deep freezer because if you buy one, they have like a, um, a funding for moms in the NICU to contribute a certain amount for a deep freezer for milk. And I, that's what I did. I just, that was my goal every day is pump, bring in the milk and they'd keep my milk in their milk bank and he would get my breast milk. And then I would try and do all his care times with the nurses. They showed me how to give him a bath. I mean, you're talking a 12 inch, one pound baby giving a bath with wires and tubes that can't not like you barely can connect them disconnect them to to do all of this and when you hold them it's a whole transfer process so like the nurse would usually always help me and then get him situated make sure all the tubing the CPAP everything was okay and, and that was another thing it was like the NICU is like it's constant beeping and beeping and noises and it's just and then you look and you're like is it okay is it not okay is that a wrong sound is that a wrong beep and it's just like your whole focus becomes like the four walls of that room Wow. So how long was he in there? So he spent 83 days in the NICU and we were actually even there during um, COVID. <laughs> so I got locked down in the hospital. My husband could no longer go um, in March and I had to sleep in his room, live in his room and not leave the NICU wow. at all. So that was like a whole nother a whole nother experience, which was like after everything, and we were like, this was towards the end of our journey. I spent two weeks there and then we got discharged, but it was like a whole nother, like kick in the gut. Like, great. Now I don't have my husband. I don't see my husband. He doesn't see our kid. And I'm just focuses, get us out of here and make sure we're okay to leave. And what were the milestones that he had to reach in order for you to leave? For us to leave, he had to have no more Brady's, so he couldn't have his heart rates jumping up and down. 
which was a big thing. Um, he had to pass a car seat test. So we had to bring in the car seat. They had him hooked up to monitors. And again, an hour and a half period that he can't have a Brady and he, he has to show that he can be okay in a car ride. Um, and then maintain temperature. So like he had already been moved to an out, like a, just a, a crib, not a, not an incubator. And um, some kids can go home on oxygen. Um, he thankfully, his thing was feeding. So like we had to make sure he could finish all his feedings and for like at least 24 to 48 hours with no issues. So we were at that point switched to bottle feeding of breast milk and he had to make sure he also went to the bathroom, like bowel movement bathroom. So like, so feeding and going poop was like our issue. And I thought it was going to be oxygen to be honest, because um, he was born so early that the oxygen in your lungs, just, you're not, you're not sure, but he was able to come off the oxygen and he was just a little stubborn with going to the bathroom and making sure he would eat all his bottles. But the nurses are really good and focused. Like they know like, all right, this is a little fluke. Like let's, just keep going. Like he's been really good and, and they want you to get out of there. That's like their goal for everybody anyways. And so how big was he when you were able to leave? Um, he was only four and a half pounds when we went home. He was still tiny. Um, he was in preemie clothes still. Um, but he was tiny. It was, <laughs> so it was still like, we brought him a baby, but the baby was under five pounds still. That's smaller than a jug of milk. Like yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like when he when yeah. he was in the NICU, I assume he can't wear clothes in the NICU, right? When he's when he has all the cords and stuff. Could you have him in clothes then? Um, once he got to at the end, we did. Um, they had to make sure, like, before you get clothes, you have to make sure like they can regulate their own temperature, so like they don't want to have clothes on them because then it's like a false sense of reality. Hmm. So, um, when he got to he was still on oxygen and he was still on cords, but he was like in an open crib. We were able to like start doing clothing, which was right in probably like February, like a month and a half, maybe month and a half to two months. He was able to start wearing clothes because we spent three months there. I can't even imagine finding clothes that small. That couldn't have been easy. Yeah. So we, we looked online. Um, Carter's does. No, Carter's does sell clothes. And then that's something you're not prepared for either. Like you want to dress your kid, but then you're like, I don't even have premium clothes. And then you're like looking for clothes to be shipped in time to be there, to use them, to, it was just, it was so crazy. The things that you don't think about. So you were able to go home and then after you were home, was everything smooth sailing? Um, not really. Cause we had like a lot of follow-up appointments. Um, we saw a physical therapist and an occupational therapist in the NICU and thank God they, they showed us or me, cause I was just me at that point, um, the exercises and things we needed to do for him and to keep him like progressing. And because it was during COVID, we would have actually normally gone to physical therapy appointments, but they taught me everything to do. And I did it with him at home. And as long as we were progressing and our pediatrician was happy, then we never had to go back into like the hospital setting. Cause he's, you know, we're bringing home an immune compromised baby that you don't, that and during that time, like we didn't go anywhere. Like we didn't have family fly to us. We had nobody come see us because we were like, I'm sorry. Like we've already been through three months of complete torture. Like I, I can't, if he gets sick, I'll never, like I'll, I'll never forgive myself. Mm-hmm. So I just stayed home with him and 
I stayed home with him and I did all the things that they told me to do, all the exercises, everything, and just completely focused on him making all those progression goals. We had to go to eye doctors because you have to follow up with his eyes to make sure like the oxygen didn't affect his eyes because that was like a big that's a big deal if the oxygen is at too high of levels. That's actually why Stevie Wonder is blind because the oxygen when he was a preemie back then they didn't know like there's levels. You can't just blast oxygen. And now we do know that, but you still have to make sure like the eyes don't get damaged from the amount of oxygen. So we had eye doctor appointments. We had heart appointments. We had, he had to get circumcised well after he left the NICU. We didn't do it during the NICU. Um, so it's like a lot of follow-ups and specialists that you need to see. And then they, once you get the okay, it becomes like every two years or three years. And, um, and we're now in the okay stage, but it was, it was a lot. So in, you also have twin daughters. So when you and your husband decided to have more children, was that a hard decision? Yeah, we we waited a while because we wanted to make sure he was going to be okay for himself. Like, what if we have a kid and that kid surpasses him? <laughs> like, he's still really tiny. Like, he's mm-hmm. a tiny kid. Mm-hmm. Um, they say preemies usually, like, till they're, like, four or five, six, they don't catch up on that scale of, you know, the t- they're tall, how tall they're going to be. And they, they will, but it takes time and they kind of like slowly go that route. I mean, he's still 30 pounds and wearing 2T clothing and he's going to be four. So, and I, and it was, we were both traumatized. I mean, we both definitely had PTSD from the whole experience. Um, I think I was more ready um, and kind of encouraged my husband, like, you know, I'm, I think, you know, this would be a good time. Like he's finally, you know, He's, he's two, he's going to be okay. Like mm-hmm. the doctors are like, you know, we're, we're on the upward of the, of the roller coaster. And, and I really wanted to have more kids cause, and I didn't want them to be too far apart, but I wanted to, again, make sure like, are we comfortable with how tall he is and how big he is right now? Do you think if we have another kid, will they catch up and surpass him? And will he feel, you know, different? Like what, what's wrong with me? So that's kind of what, where we came to that decision and decided, okay, let's, let's have more kids. And of course we, we have twins, which then made me another high risk pregnancy, even though I was already high risk due to having severe preeclampsia and a NICU child. Um, But it was, it was good though, because I was highly monitored and was, you know, weekly appointments at one point. And I think that made the biggest difference though with my twins is that they didn't have to go to the NICU because I was highly monitored and, and we were prepared though. Um, unfortunately we knew all the nurses and they've become our family and we're like, Hey, we might see you soon. Like we're having twins. And they were like, I think they're all the same, like shock. And, Oh, I pray to God, they don't have to come back here. But mm-hmm. we were like prepared. It was like, you've already experienced it. It's not as bad because you know, or you already know, it's not an unknown now. And you trust them. Um, and actually, when I have, yeah, exactly, I trust them so much to the point where I was a scheduled C-section because the girls were breached. So even if we wanted to, they said it was just, you you really need to have C-section. And our primary nurse who took care of Carter, Crystal, was on transport that day and was like, I'll be in the delivery. And mm. I was like, thank God, like, this is amazing. And then my poor husband, again, they couldn't get the epidural in and I had to be knocked out and they wouldn't allow him in. 
So the nurse ended up delivering our twins for us. <laughs> and again, thank God, because she was our primary nurse and we trust her with our life. She delivered our twins and for us and brought them to my husband. Oh. And so did you have preeclampsia at all with the twins? Um, not no, not at all. I mean, I I was close to like the the low parameters of what they don't like, but I never actually was classified as preeclampsia or um any anything. I didn't have high blood pressure that they would class it. There's a few times that I went to the hospital just because I was not feeling great. The blood pressure would go up and then it would come right back down. But other than that. I had literally basically nothing. Even then my doctor, she hugged me at the end and was like, we did it. Like you did it. Like you're, you're going to have babies at 35 and six and they're twins. Like this is huge, especially with my past. So it's, you don't know. And, and until we were past 32 weeks with the twins, I wasn't convinced we weren't going to the NICU. Like I told my parents, you're going to have to come here. I am. You're going to have to watch Carter because I'm going to sit in the NICU again. Like I was prepared. <laughs> wow. And it, at this time, nothing. enough. It didn't happen. So do you want more children? No, we are done. Oh, okay. <laughs> we are happy. We we have three. We weren't expecting. We weren't expecting twins either. So um, so three, three is good for me. <laughs> good. So now let's talk about how you moved into being an advocate for NICU. What is your role right now? So right now I am the chair of women's and children's and the NICU for the patient and family advisory council, which is the PFAC. And it's a national, um, nationally recognized, um, board and our, the Tampa general hospital PFAC is actually one of the top three in the country, um, nationally recognized. So it's, it's huge. Um, yeah. so, um, women's and children's is kind of obviously women's and children. So it includes labor and delivery and my is with that and NICU because we spent three months, um, in the NICU. And what we do with that is I was asked to go to a day up at the state house in Tallahassee for Florida and just tell them our stories. So, you know, tell them what happened to us, why, why Tampa General Hospital, and they want to hear the patient experience. And when they go to make healthcare bills and other things, and it's the middle of the night, and they're deciding yes or no, we want them to think of us, like I'm a person, like me. Don't just think of signing a bill and yes, no. Like we wow. want you to think of the patient, the experience, and how you could affect someone's life and make an impact. Wow. So then I see things on Facebook and you are speaking to groups of people and you're just sharing your story and, and tell, tell me about that. Tell me when you're, when you're talking to people, are you just sharing your story or is there anything else that you're trying to convey? So the biggest thing about, um, what I, the speaking I do now, it's that new team member orientation for Tampa General Hospital. So we're speaking to upwards of 200 people that are just coming to the hospital as new employees. Um, they could be in any aspect of the hospital. They could be at an imaging center, x-ray, labor and delivery, NICU. They could be cardio. It could be anything. So the biggest thing about that is telling them the patient, again, the patient story. You need to hear from the patients, you know, how people like you made an impact and, you know, 
becoming part of that family of TGH, um, you can make an impact. It doesn't matter. And it, just because I'm talking about the NICU and my experience, but you need to hear like why it was a traumatic, but very good experience because of the staff. I mean, they encouraged me to keep breastfeeding. They, you know, made sure I ate and slept and, you know, go home. It's okay. Like we'll get that. Like they encouraged us. They were there not just for our son, they were there for us. And that's what made the, the world class of difference. And I think that's how we survived. I mean, they say it takes a village. I always say the NICU was our village. Like they helped us survive. So you obviously encompass the do better, be better, live better. So I love this because you're encouraging employees. I mean, you're talking to employees of a hospital. I mean, that that's pretty cool that they've asked you to come do that. So I'm just curious what you would say your final message for someone who might have a friend or know someone or maybe don't doesn't know anybody but would like to help. If you have a family that has a child in the NICU, what could someone like me or anyone do to help them? Uh, it's it's a hard question because like it's there's not a lot, but the biggest thing is you just need to be there for them. Um, there's people I meet and I or tell me all the time online that I'm glad you talk for it because I, I can't. And it and I understand that it we couldn't talk about it for a long time. It, it was traumatic. It was a very difficult place. It's a place that I wouldn't want anybody to know what it is unless you work there and you chose that line of work is what I tell people. Mm-hmm. Um, so just be there for them. Don't ask, what can I do for you? When's your kid coming home? Like, those are loaded questions that like, you don't know. We didn't know he was coming home till like the end. And we were packing the room like this is happening. Like a lot of things have to be signed off, approved. Like, so, and a lot of people would always ask that. And I would just say, just do what you feel comfortable. If you feel like sending them gift cards to gas stations, Dunkin' Donuts, food, or just saying, hey, I got food tonight. What time's a good time to have it delivered? Just do it. Because for the most part, we didn't really ask for help. We were just so focused that it was like, if someone had asked me, I'd be like, oh, we're okay. Don't worry about it. Like, cause you're just so you're, you're oblivious to the rest of the world. Your whole focus is I need my kid to live and just doing nice gestures for people there and making baskets or little things. Like I got some baskets from people when we were there of, you know, shampoo, conditioner, stuff that I could leave there in the room if I wanted to shower when I was at the hospital and not have to run home and run back and just stuff like you don't even think of like we we went to the hospital every day and drove there 30 thankfully it was only 30 minutes away but some people drive an hour some people need to stay at Ronald McDonald um some people just need extra clothes and laundry stuff because they have to wash all their stuff in the hospital I mean it's the little things that you don't you know you don't think about that all of a sudden oh I need to eat every day <laughs> and sometimes I don't want the hospital food <laughs> right and do you have the money right now when you're about to get a million dollar bill <laughs> um for your kid being in the NICU probably not so it is like the small stuff that it, it does make a big difference and and don't ask too many questions just say like I'm here for you and and be there because some of those questions might be a touchy subject for that person <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.